welcome to the Biohacker's Guide for Women Only. You are listening to The Art of Becoming Wonder Woman. I am Jessica Fernandez-Cruz. And I am Yen B. Trung. Life extension, longevity, biotech, digital health technology, and prevention are all the fields of health that we've been working in for over 15 years. We've worked alongside world-renowned physicians, Nobel laureates, experts, and top biohackers. We were at the forefront of a lot of the science that is being used today for biohacking. Our mission is to bring to you all this knowledge and information and create a biohacking community for women. Join us today on our journey into biohacking our bodies. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hello, everyone. Welcome, Wonder Women. Here we are again. Three women here right now. Well, myself, of course, Yemvi, and our guest today, Elena Money Garman. And I'm very excited because I have very little information about an exciting story that we're going to listen to today that's going to inspire us, that's going to give us the concept and the idea that not everything that looks great has been an easy ride. And that is also the lesson that we get out of a story that we're going to hear now, that she says, if I can do it, everybody can do it. So, Yemi, I'm going to let you introduce her. Well, I want to introduce Elena Money Garmin. As Jessica mentioned, I haven't said much to Jessica about Elena, only because when I first met Elena, I listened to her story and the way she tells her story and her journey was incredible. And I'm so excited for everybody to listen to this story as well. And I want Jessica to hear the, you know, the initial story coming from Elena herself so that Jessica can have the same experience I did. And so everybody welcome Elena. Elena is, is the CEO and founder of Garmin Homes, which is a very male dominant industry, which is home building. And how many women do we know actually build homes and heads a corporation that builds homes, right? And so just from that perspective, it's groundbreaking for, for a woman to lead in that industry as well, because I know some women in that industry and, and I hear stories. So I'm sure Elena has some herself. So Elena, welcome. So happy to have you here. Thank you guys so much for that intro. I'm so happy to be here and share my story. I hope I tell it well. <laughs> <laughs> You were introduced to us from Lauren Updike, who was in our last podcast. And once you you meet incredible women, they tend to gravitate to each other and they, you know, we, we pull in the same energy. And so and we inspire each other as well. And so Lauren introduced you to me and said, you know, you're going to love her. Her story is so inspirational. And, and you inspired Lauren, too. And so very excited to have you share your story. And where I want to go first in regards to your story is that, you know, it hasn't been that long since from where you started to where you are today, right? The way I look at it, at least, you know, during the process, it probably felt forever, that journey. But once you look back and you tell us, well, it's been only this number of years or this amount of time, I'm just like, wow, that actually is a short period of time, at least from my perspective, right? And so... Why don't we start off with your initial journey of the way I look at it is it was that eat, pray, love moment that you had. (laughs) That's how I describe pray, love. And somebody was telling you that, you know, this is not right or you had a different journey for your life, right? Yeah, I did. So I went to grad school 
for healthcare administration. I have an undergrad biology pre-med degree and a, a graduate degree from Carolina School of Public Health. And I was in a job I hated. I was a healthcare consultant and I cried every day to and from work. I was seven months pregnant with my first daughter and I quit. I was married at the time, which is the only way it was financially feasible to do something like that. And I, I acknowledge an extraordinary amount of privilege in that decision. A lot of women can't make that decision. But I was about $50,000 in debt from student loans at the time. So yeah, the score was 50000 in debt, pregnant, out of work. And I was going to have a baby in like two months. So my first daughter, I have three daughters. And I went on this, as you say, eat, pray, love journey to find someone who loves what they do. Because I was sort of brought up in that Oprah show generation of you'll never work a day in your life if you love what you do. And so I wanted to love what I did as much as I hated what I did before. It was just, I wasn't in the right spot and, and I knew I wasn't. And it was just like confronting every insecurity every day. And I just called a timeout on it, quit my job, and then started asking people if they loved their job. I was literally like that. I was deciding my career by finding out who loved their job. And the first person to answer me affirmatively and say, yes, I love my job is a husband of a friend who worked on site for DR Horton selling new homes. The people that sit in the models, that's called an on-site salesperson. He said, I love my job. And then he told me what he made, which is a significant amount because you're commission only. So the trade-off for the security is that you got to go kill something if you want your family to eat. So I was like, I can do that. I bet I'd be great at that. And I, I, I had a sales background from undergrad. I went from undergrad to pharmaceutical sales in downtown Chicago. And so I went to work for a large national builder. And I did that for two years with that builder. And then two more years, almost two more years with another builder and a large national builder. And I was up for sales management. I knew I wanted to further my career in leadership. But my second daughter, Francesca, was still nursing at the time. And I knew that if I accepted a career in sales management from a large national builder, that I would be sacrificing too much of my motherhood at that point that I knew I couldn't get back. So I, again, started sort of going around, looking around, like who was starting something from nothing? Because I wanted to put my fingerprints on something. I wanted to be part of something that I could conjure from whole cloth. And um, Jim had just started Garmin Homes. And he and I had both worked at DR Horton. So we knew of each other. And um, I called him up and I said, I want to start your sales team. He didn't offer... We still joke about it to this day that he didn't offer me a job. That I just called him up and said, I want to start your sales team. I want to start this this company with you and and be part of it. And it was great. And I became... the I was the sales manager. and. Um, then the recession hit. We started a home building company in 2007. 2008 is when the world went crazy. The last time the world went crazy. The biggest turning point for my personal career was driving through a neighborhood in Holly Springs, North Carolina with Jim in 2010. And I said, um, here we are in the middle of a recession. I had worked for these wonderful, super badass women as my sales leader. And I said, why aren't more women leading home building companies? What's the deal? Because couldn't we just sell our way out of this? This is a sales problem. This isn't a, you know, it was a global recession. So maybe I was simplifying a bit. 
but <laughs> oversimplify. But why aren't these women being promoted to the division president spot and leading us out of this recession with fundamental sales skills? And he said, I don't know, but it could be just regular sexism because it is very male dominated, or it could be that they don't know how to build a house because the majority of women that exist in our industry are on the sales and marketing side, not on the operational construction side. And so I said, well, then I want you to teach me how to build a house because I want to be worthy. I want to earn the right to put myself as the leader of this company someday. And he said, okay. And so I built a house and I, I blogged about it because in 2010, blogging was cool. I blogged about it every day. It was called Build Like a Girl. And um, I learned so much about home building and about our trades and their personal stories and the connections that I could make with them. And um, I had one salesperson of the year in this area and knew, you know, the year before and knew just embarrassingly little about how a home actually gets constructed. And so I learned so much, but it was one of those experiences that starts out as one thing and then becomes something else entirely. It really put us on the map of like having an identity in this market and being very transparent and authentic. And that kind of stuff takes practice. And the blog is where I practiced being exactly the person I wanted to be. So that was 2010. After that experience, I became the vice president. And then I became the division vice president. And then I became the division president <laughs> in 2017. And then um, I joined the ownership side with Jim. In 2018, I became an owner and hired another woman to run it. So she's the, she's the regional president now. How inspired were you every single day when you woke up in the morning? Because again, you know, was there ever a time when you woke up and you had this imposter syndrome in a way where this is a male-dominant industry? This is a house. What if somebody thinks that I can't build this house or I can't do what, what men can do? How, how did you get past that, that point? Or how did you, you know, convince yourself or whatever it is? What tools did you use to, to get you past that? Yeah, this is a really good question because imposter syndrome, I think, plagues all of us that want some want so badly to give a hundred percent to something. You know, we don't want to fake it. We want it to feel real. And imposter syndrome plagues the very people that are the least impostery, right? <laughs> it's that genuineness that triggers us to think I'm not enough or I won't be enough. So for me, and I've had a lot of time to reflect on this and talk about this in the past, but for me. What I derive a lot of strength from is the other times I have faced imposter syndrome. And the number one story that comes to mind about me feeling like an imposter was the day I brought my oldest daughter home. And mind you, I was still jobless. <laughs> so I, I brought my daughter Amelia home. This was this will be 17 years ago this spring, which is hard to believe. But I brought her home and I remember looking at her and just crying and thinking, I'm never, ever going to be able to live up to this role. You know, you feel like your bluff gets called because you think about all the great mothers and you think about what your own mother means to you. And I can say with 100% certainty that I'm a fantastic mother and I didn't know what I was doing. But just because you don't know what you're doing doesn't mean you can't be great at it. It just means you're still learning. Everybody has to give themselves time in that moment when the imposter syndrome is just it comes over you like a wave, right? Like grief or something else or some emotion you're trying to avoid. It just hits you like a wave and you have to kind of let it process through you and talk yourself out of it and say, yes, that's there. I get that. I have this feeling of 
maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm not going to be great at building this house, but I'm going to give it 100%. And I'm going to give my best. And I'm going to lead with my own vulnerability and tell people, I don't know, but I want you to teach me. And I want to be great at it. And just by saying that and talking yourself through that, you find your way. You find your footsteps, just like you do as a as a parent. I think I have to derive a lot of strength from the fact that I know how to overcome imposter syndrome because I have. And every woman out there has overcome some imposter syndrome. I think we just have to arm ourselves with those stories so that we know that once it comes, we're like, I've been here before, I can get through it again. That's right. And one of the things is that I, I believe that women have naturally have less of a, you know, there's different definitions of an ego, for example, but we're, we're more genuine in a way that, and it could be that a little mix of the imposter syndrome versus being genuine versus naturally, that's who we are genetically, but that we're open to learning, we're open to receiving, and we're open to asking, for example, just because that allows us to grow as well and overcome these, these humps that we get and these challenges, that sense of imposter syndrome itself. You know, you, you feel like you have imposter syndrome because you're learning something new, but then after that, you know, after that, you're like, wow, I did it. But you just got to keep going. So wh- one of the main things that was, and I know our listeners are, you know, can relate to this portion of your life, this period of your life, because a lot of women go through this and it's, which is, you know, divorce, for example, over 50% of marriages are ending in divorces, right? And so with that said is you have to imagine 50% of marriages that's happening, there's 50% of women are that could be going through what you're going, or maybe a quarter of the percentage or whatever it may be. They're, they're going through what you probably went through, which is, what do I start from here? What do I do now, right? Yeah. So when I turned 40, so cliche, right? So I turned 40 and I had this moment of sort of reckoning with myself. So there's this voice. I think everyone has this voice inside their head that speaks the truth to you. And it's a really, really quiet voice. And so when you fill your life with things because you don't want to listen to the voice, it's hard. It gets harder to hear the voice. And so you can avoid it a little bit better. But this, this voice in my head knew that my marriage wasn't the marriage I should be holding up as an example for my children. You know, like Glennon Doyle says, if I didn't want it for them, I shouldn't model it to them. I definitely. Wish I had her words back then because it was it was hard to say I'm leaving my husband because of my kids. You know, it's not their fault, obviously, but it's I don't want to set this as the example of how you should feel in a marriage. And I knew people that like I always thought people were lying when they said my husband's my best friend or you know my partner's my best friend. And I thought, what are you nuts? Like I, <laughs> I didn't have that because I didn't have that. I didn't think it was possible. And the more I got really, really quiet and listened to that voice, the more I knew that I had to reconcile the fact that this wasn't a marriage that that I was going to stay in, and also acknowledge the fact that my best friend was actually Jim, who I started the company with, and my feelings for him as my best friend didn't belong in my marriage either. And it didn't belong in his either. And so we both got divorced and we started a relationship 
with each other. We're married to each other now and blissfully, unbelievably happy. (laughs) Did not know marriages like this existed, but went through the most difficult time, not feeling shame about it. And it took me two years, maybe two and a half, and extensive business coaching, extensive coaching relationship to get me through that and, and some therapy in and out. But a lot of women, we don't want to identify with that as, as part of our lives as a divorce. But for me, it almost became, you know, I had to, I did not want to turn into the person that I was going to be in that marriage. And I was just like, you know, shriveling up a little bit, making myself a little bit smaller, trying to find ways to justify staying because it's inertia. It's the path of least resistance. And and knowing I was going to break my children's hearts is not something that's easy to swallow. I mean, it's still, you know, will when they talk about that time, it still chokes me up. It still gets me emotional. But I had to be the I had to be the leader in that moment. And I knew from my work life that I could be blissfully happy in something. And so I had to take those lessons from my work life and sort of reconstruct my personal life with my children, make them my solid ground of like, we're going to rebuild our hearts together and we're going to rebuild them stronger. And I'm going to walk you through this with as much love as I can give you, but it's yours to, it's your journey to travel. And and this will be part of who you are. And my parents divorced when I was young and and I I turned out fine. Just kidding. (laughs) People say that all the time, but you know, it, my children are not broken. And that perception is so toxic to women and to mothers. My children are not broken. My children are stronger than ever. And they know what a great relationship looks like. And they know that their dad's a great dad and that he deserves to be blissfully happy in his relationship too. And he is. He is in a relationship that's, that's a great relationship. And so am I. And so I'm proud that we were able to model that for our kids. But in the meantime, man, it was tough because when you end up with the person that you started the company with, then all those things that people said about you, you feel like you made them come true, which was, oh, she just got that promotion because he likes her. She's just the boss, you know, because it's an old stereotype. It's an old story. And people want to tell themselves those stories if they can't figure out why you and not them. That's where I think ego is. I think ego is when you project this sort of like, well, she's not so great or he's not so great. You know, it's, you know, you're trying to make yourself feel better by putting someone else down. And that's just, that's just not effective or productive. But yeah, I went through all of that. People saying, you know, oh, this all makes sense now why she made it to the top. And so I had to just put my head down and put points on the board. So I had a scoreboard to point to when people said, you know, well, she's not so great. Well, look at my scoreboard. I'm doing the work. So you can't take this away from me. No, well, I just wanted to just point something out that I feel is so strong and so difficult to deal with in our daily life, which is listening to yourself fully, like really going inside is the only way to stop listening to that shame, that imposter syndrome, that what everybody else is saying And I feel that you've been able to tap into that inner voice that is so much wiser. That is not just in that, you know, when they talk about imposter syndrome, many times they put like, it's a little ball inside a big ball. And it's you and what people think. As if what people think is a huge thing that is equal to everybody, right? 
each person has a very different thought. And you think, they think, Yemvi thinks, I think, we all think different ways. And it's allowing that to be whatever it is and really letting your the way you think have power. Unbelievable. The way you do describe it, it feel, I, I get goosebumps from it. <laughs> you know, one of my college girlfriends during that time, because I was during that two and a half years when I was working through all that shame and guilt, I was obsessed with what people thought about me in a crippling way. It was keeping me from doing my best work. And she sort of grabbed me by the shoulders and said, Elena, what someone else thinks of you is none of your business. It got me back in my own lane, right? And I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. It's none of my business. What is my business is what I think of myself. And so I had to start there and rebuild that and change my narrative about my divorce and about the business and about my own professional success. And yeah, that voice will break your heart sometimes, <laughs> that inner voice, but it leads you to the place where you need to be. That journey is, is tough, but it's worth it. It's almost in the long run worth it, right? Because that voice somehow knows the future of you as well. Um, so it's pretty, um, it's pretty incredible because that fear that comes upon during the short moments is just, it's very difficult and it's hard. And you ask yourself, was this the right decision? Was this the right choice? Right. And then as you keep listening to it and then doing everything towards what it's, you're supposed to, uh, meaning, you know, growing and setting an example for your children or, you know, doing good for others, you know, following that your passion of what makes you happy over the next number of months, years, you're like, wow, I'm so glad I did it. Right. Because if you just follow that voice, it's, it's meant to make you happy. It's meant to be a position to grow and succeed because that's naturally we want to, as humans, we want to grow. We want to, we want more. We're curious, we're curious individuals. Right. And that curiousness is for us to thrive somehow into, and it's almost a science for us to evolve as well. Right. And so that instinct almost is like the world is changing uh, and I'm curious to how I can change as well. So there is a lot of science to it. Now, I know that at that moment when you changed your perspective, was there any tools or anything like that, that, okay, now I see the difference now it's because awareness is the first thing, right? Once you have that awareness, I've been thinking about it all wrong. I, I'm changing my story. Make that shift. It's almost like a night and day kind of thing. It's like an, an awakening or an enlightened moment, you know, Zen Buddhism, you know, not saying that this isn't awakened, but it's like a flip. I woke up and now I realize it. And so what, what, what happened after that? You know, what, what did you, were there steps that you're like, okay, I'm going to write down all my steps or was there anything that you focused on? I became a lot more intentional with everything and anything I allowed myself to consume. So social media boundaries, <laughs> you know, who I was willing to listen to, who I wasn't, what I would feed myself in terms of content. So I started reading different books and I listened to different podcasts and I, I was very intentional with doing that, sort of prescribed myself a diet of things that made me feel more, things that fulfilled me in a way that I used to get from tuning out, you know, from, you know, just hanging out with people or, you know, trying to ignore that voice inside. So be I became like hyper extroverted and like, you know, was ready to go do, try anything to not be still. 
And I think I, I learned to get good with the stillness and to, to confront whatever was sort of perplexing me or plaguing me and, and, and see it as something, just the next milestone to break through, right? So you see those things as like, I, I don't know if I'll be able to get through this. And, and then you, you remember, oh, wait, I've, I've gotten through a lot more before this. I just need to find the path there. And the path there is usually things you read, things you follow, the things you no longer allow in your life. Those are the ways that you clear your path for where you're supposed to go next. And so I am very intentional about who I hang out with. I have very few friends, some because of the divorce, because people, I remember my brother said, if you do this, people will abandon you. And I thought, there's no way. That's archaic to judge somebody for something like that. And he was right. People do abandon you. It's lonely. And it's awful, but you kind of rebuild back. And Lauren Updike, who you mentioned earlier, was one of the moms at gymnastics for my middle daughter, Francesca, and her daughter, Dalen. And meeting another woman in the wild who was accomplished and beautiful and strong and, like you said, like has light, right? She makes light and um, was really fun to meet someone like that and be like, oh, okay, you exist. Okay. <laughs> and it's, it's so, <laughs> it was so reassuring to be like, wow, okay, I can, I can be who I am and she can be who she is and, and we can love and respect and want and cheer for each other in this world and in this life. And, you know, Lauren's just one of those people that whatever she's doing, she wants you to be part of. And it, it's, it's been so fun to, to share that with her. And, um, yeah, I have very few people that I share that with now. And um, I don't know, it's been, it's a journey. It's, it's, it's everything though. I'm like so crazy intentional. I'm probably a little bit like manic about it. Like yesterday I had to write a speech for a presentation that I'm giving. And so I light the candles. I surround myself with pictures of my family. I queue up the exact right playlist that I need to get in the state to write the words that I need to write. I write down my intentions, three words of how I want this talk to feel, you know, everything. I, you know, I have a mug of tea in a mug that was given to me by another woman who I love and admire and respect. And so it's sort of conjuring all that good stuff for me so that I can be the best me. There's, there's a, a point where there was an inflection where momentum started, I'm sure. Right. And we can call that flow state, peak state, or whatever it is that all the hard work you did, all the, whether it be candles or whatever you set yourself boards and stuff, right? All of this somehow layers and then becomes a compound effect and you do it daily and it just comes on top of each other. And at some point, it's kind of like a flywheel example from one of my favorite authors, um, Jim Collins from Good to Great. I don't know if you've ever read the book. What he says is that you start spinning the flywheel and it takes forever and it's really hard at first. Then all of a sudden the momentum starts going and then it's going on its own. And before you know, you can't even stop it because it's moving so fast, right? And so at some point you could Turning that wheel is the hardest, even on a bicycle. I, have you ever done it? I'm stepping on, I'm like, okay. And then you have to pick up speed. And before you take your foot off the pedals and it's going, right? And so, <laughs> when did you say, wow, it's starting to you know, work. It's everything, all the hard work, everything I've gone through, it's moving on its own. The momentum is, is on its own, you know? Was there a point where you said, you stepped back and you're like, wow, look at where it is today. I can see it moving on its own now. I think it's different. For the business, it took about 10 years. You know, we used to say we'd get up and breathe air into it, right? So it existed. 
you know, so every day you had to get up and create it again for it to exist. And it's exactly like you say, it's at a certain point, we would look at each other and think, oh, this is happening without us putting so much effort into it. Like the business has its, it's flying. It like learned how to fly all that hard work we had done teaching it how to fly forever. And then personally, you know, it's funny because they tell you other divorced people will tell you once you get divorced, you become a divorce Sherpa <laughs> for other people. They'll seek you out and be like, what do I do? And please do seek me out. If you're in that position, I am here. And as someone who's gone through it and it was awful and, but it's okay now. But I, I think personally, I didn't let myself do that for years, probably at our wedding. And my, my favorite wedding picture, so I, Jim and I got married to each other in November of 2018. And there's this picture of us. It's my favorite wedding picture. And I just posted it to Instagram. And I cut myself at the reception on a champagne flute pretty badly, like needed stitches, went to the, went to the ER after the reception, but wasn't going to leave my reception. And so my goddaughter is a a physician's assistant and she she wrapped me up and so anyway my my middle finger I cut my middle finger so my middle finger is up for my entire wedding just so funny because there were people even within my family who wouldn't come to my wedding family members and I think I felt for so many years I felt the loss so acutely from the time I was divorced till the time I got married remarried again and I think at my wedding I allowed myself to look around that room and see what I had. You know, I was, I was, I was, it was that mind shift from scarcity. Like I'm losing friends to, oh my gosh, this is abundance. Look how much I have and look how many people are here with us. And so anyway, my favorite picture from our wedding is dancing with my husband. And, you know, I had my middle finger splinted up because I cut it. And so he put his middle fingers up. And so it's a picture of us dancing with our middle fingers, which was the moment that we kind of were like, yeah, we did this and this was where we needed to be. And, and we love each other endlessly and as our best friends. And it was such a great moment of celebration. It was such a fun milestone to have, but yeah, it was fun. I think that was the first time I let myself do that though. But there's still moments. It's not linear. That's the thing that's so baffling when you start a company, when you start anything new, when you're starting over, it's not linear. And what you can't draw a trend line from the worst day and you can't draw a trend line from your best day. You just have to keep going and make the best of every day to find the perspective, to find the lesson that the universe is trying to send you, apply it and just and keep going. What I hear in your story is a person who is brave to reinvent herself no matter what. And I think that, you know, it's letting go of that certainty that you had in that first beginning of your story where you had that job that you hated, but you could have stayed there because that was safe to stay there, right? But I was just unhappy. And, you know, having that drive, and I'm here's, here's my question really is, you know, there's a why behind all of this that I can hear in these rituals that you're describing when you want to live with intention, like this needs to be in front of me because that reminds me of something. And it's beautiful because in your story, you know, there's the love story, there's the motherhood, and there's the, the professional in you. And I know also because I've been reading about you that you've also been giving a lot back to society, not just building up a company for the sake of creating a company, but something bigger than you. 
So I wonder if you want to share a little bit about your why and what's behind all of this. Sure. I read a definition of hell once that was getting to hell would be meeting the person you could have been. It scares me to death. (laughs) I don't want to meet the person I could have been. I want to be that person. I don't want to be a passive participant in my life. I want to be active. I want to do everything I can with everything I have. So I don't know how long I have. None of us does. None of it's guaranteed. So I'm going to tell my kids how much I love them every day. And I'm going to you know, tell my husband how much I love him and tell the people that work for us how much I love and admire them and respect them and I'm grateful for them. But I don't want to leave that stuff to chance. I think I am an active driver of my life. And I think the only reason to make a ton of money is to give a ton of money back. I think that the most empowering thing I've ever done was build, was say yes, when they asked me to build two homes for widows of fallen soldiers. They said, can I have a free house? I said, yes. Like that is the best measure of success that I can conjure even for myself. I mean, that's, that's the universe gifting us with much more than we ever expected. And the business, the four Garmin differences, there's four things that make us different than every other builder. And my favorite is give back. So for every home that we build, we give back to causes that we care greatly about. And so fallen soldiers, certainly one of them. And and it was incredibly empowering to build a woman run woman led company to build for a woman, a widow. And one of the women was also a veteran. And these were single mothers. And at the time, I was a, I was a single mother the first time we, we built one of those homes. And that's why people show up, I think, to give us their best work at Garmin Homes is because that's where we set the bar. It's like, we believe a home building company can change the world. And here's how we're going to do it. Because I, I want you to be professionally challenged and personally fulfilled. I want you to come to work and feel like you're making an impact, not just for your, yourself and your family, but for the world. You know, there's, there's a way to do all of them. Yenvi, when you sent me the, the, the graph of the eight structures of life, I realized how much overlap I have enjoyed between my personal life, my professional life, and my spiritual life, and my professional life, and my community, you know, my sense of, of community and wanting to participate and be active. And so when you sent me that, thank you so much. It really added some sprinkles on top of an already pretty good Sunday. (laughs) What's pretty amazing is when you told me your story initially, it just hit all the, and I'll share the eight structures of life and we'll put it on our, our uh, Facebook group for everybody to take a look at as well, because it's, you, you really grew each component of those structures and you did it with focus, but you didn't know that that the structure existed, right? Just intuitively almost and surround yourself with the type of knowledge and guidance, right? To, okay, start shifting and focusing on all the values of life that optimizes you, right? And optimize your well-being and your spirituality. And and so there, there are these structures of, of life where you just would say, okay, my family, my community, right? My spirituality insights right and then like growing so these are all of the things that when you focus and you and you did it with 
intuitively, that's the most amazing thing because when I look at the structure, I, I look at it from an analytical, I would say, okay, how do I rate myself on each of these structures right now, right? And then how do I optimize it? And so that's how, because I, I became aware of it. I'm like, okay, now how do I intentionally focus on these pieces? You just kind of like, just flowed with it and, and just, you know, just took it in and say, okay, now I want to make sure my family is happy. Now I want to make sure people who work for me are happy as well. And that's part of our growth. Right. And so that's where I, I found it so fascinating because right away a, a light bulb went up. It's like, wow, she implemented these structures and had no idea that this is existed. And then I shared that with you. <laughs> it was, it was the craziest thing as I, yeah, I just I think from being, you know, that that not all who wander are lost. I mean, I was I was sort of bumping around in the wilderness of my brain like, what do I do now? And I had raised the bar on I was like, okay, if I'm going to take the hourglass of my life at 40 and throw it against a wall, I might as well rebuild everything and rebuild it better and rebuild it with intention and, you know, one of the things I I've always thought of is when people say when you say like how is something and someone says it's fine, and I always think, gosh, you shouldn't have to settle for fine. Like if great is on the menu, go get great. Like, and there's a time and a place for that. And I don't want to, I don't want to make people feel bad for fine. Sometimes fine is the best you can do. And that's, that's plenty and, and feel good about that. But if you have an opportunity or you see a window or a way to get yourself to feel great and to live a great life, go for it, sister. Like just run, run towards that greatness. And that greatness is contagious. It gives people permission to do it for themselves. And it gives people permission to, you know, because it matters. It ma- people need to see people making those choices to know that they can do it too. There's, there's nothing special about me that I could do this and somebody else can't. There's just, there's just the awareness of wanting to do it and, and then doing it. Now that you've been through such a great journey right now, today, what's your focus on right now? It's so funny because I built my career for so many years and I was away for so much time when my kids were little and I had no desire to be home with them when they were little. And um, toddlers are terrorists. They're, <laughs> they're really and um, I love teenagers. I, I never knew, you know, people always say like, wait, wait till they're, I have three daughters. So of course people are like, wait till they're teenagers. And now I have a I have a stepdaughter and a stepson now too. And we're not blended. We are unblended on purpose. So I have my house. Jim has his house. Our kids live with us in our houses and their houses when they're with us. And then when they go to their other parents' houses, we live together. And there's, uh, again, an extraordinary amount of financial privilege in, in having a system like that. So what I have enjoyed most in my life right now is just being with these girls and, and raising women and raising women who will be intentional about their futures and will be purposeful and will be professionally challenged and personally fulfilled and, and do great things. And we know that that's, that's my bar for them. I want them to have a great life. And so I've been, I'm sort of like 75% stay at home mom now, which is so strange because I have this crazy title, right? I'm a CEO. I must be busy all the time. Well, what they don't tell you is that you're busiest when you're climbing to get to CEO. And then when you're CEO, everyone else does the work and you kind of like peek in and you're like, oh, that looks great. Or, uh, I might, you know, I think this would be good. Or, you know, it's, it's, it's somebody else's time to earn that kudos and that, that work and that spotlight. And so I've been enjoying my time sort of 
digging in with these girls because, you know, I have a junior in high school. So she's going to leave here in 18 months and it's going to be hard. And I, I only have that much time with them. And um, someone told me once that when your kids hit teenage years, they stop listening to you and they just watch you. But I'm having so much fun being with them. And my, my oldest just verbally committed to play lacrosse at Meredith and an all-women's school. And I went to an all-women's school. And I'm so proud of her for making that come true for herself. I told her she had to play a sport in high school. And she decided to play lacrosse. And I had played lacrosse, which I loved. And, you know, she didn't play till the, her freshman year. And she has already, you know, got an offer to play in college and wanted to play in college and made that happen for herself. Yeah, it was really incredible as a goalie. And at the time, I remember asking her, she, I said, why do you want to play goalie? And she said, well, I, I have a guaranteed spot on the team. And you told me I had to make a team in high school. And I said, yeah, why do you think most people don't want to be goalie? She said, they're afraid to get hit. And I said, are you not afraid to get hit? And she said, no, I'm very afraid, but I'm still going to do it. <laughs> there she is, the daring one coming out right there. <laughs> Sometimes I, I look at my daughter and I think, I know she's watching me and right now I'm I'm launching another company and we're getting ready to launch a couple of items on our, from the company. And she goes, mommy, are you selling it already? Are you selling the products already? And I'm like, almost babe. She gave me a hug and she was so proud of me. And I'm just, and she's watching this, you know, I've had companies and she's watched me grow the companies, but she was very young. She's eight now. And so she actually sees me because I wake up at three 30 I'm hacking my sleep. I know people are going to judge, but it's, I'm still getting my seven hours of sleep. <laughs> so it's the other way around. She comes and she gives me a kiss and she hugs me and then she goes into her room. But we go to bed. I go to bed earlier than my daughter, but she watches how hard I work because, you know, I'm passionate about it. But she so it's an example for her to say, you know, nothing. Hard work doesn't phase us. That's the thing. You know, the hard work doesn't phase us. It's it's something what I, I can't wait is for it to get to where you are for this company to flourish for to see the results of the hard work. Yeah. When you get to hire another woman and watch her soar. I mean, that's that feels fantastic. It's it's an incredible thing. And eight years old is really young to be getting that. That's fantastic. Kudos to you. <laughs> so right now with with everything I, I know you said you know you, you get the benefit of a stay at home right now in a sense right how are you keeping your balance do you do, you know is there a science to how you do certain things at all or I know you run and you, you mentioned that running is almost meditative for you it is yeah if I am working on something I go for a run and and think about it and listen to music that I love and just think about it until I can solve it. And that, that helps me get through the run that helps me sort of dissociate myself with it, you know, cause what I'm trying to do is like look down in on a problem or a project. And it helps me get into that state of intentionality and a creative space. Cause a lot of what I do is creative work. And so it's not like you sit down and you just do it right. Like with this podcast, it's not like you, you sat down and you're like, here's what I'm going to do. It's sort of like this, light that finds you or this idea and then you find yourself just like it's invaded your brain and you just can't put it down creative work needs a lot of space to move and, and and form so running for me is one of those reading for escape um very restrictive with what i allow myself to consume in terms of news media and opinion 
<laughs> so reading becomes a big escape for me. Cooking. I love to cook. I love to cook because that's how I show love. I've raised, um, my mom is hundred percent Italian. She lives with me and, um, my dad is Syrian. And so a lot of food is central to Middle Eastern and Italian culture. And, and I love that. So I love cooking with my daughters and balance is hard because I feel like balance is, is a myth, like this perfect formula of like checking off a list and your kids don't need you in equal measure all the time. And your job doesn't need you in equal measure all the time. There's these like wild swings. And so I, I think of balance more as just swinging to the area that needs me the most and being as present as possible as I can be in that moment for whoever needs me the most. So right now in this season of life, it's my children and being present with them in their online school and being present with them and what's happening in their lives because they're they're in high school and I can't let them be in high school. You know, they live with my mother who's almost 80. And so they're like, my daughter wanted to work and she went to work for a little bit. And then I was like, you have to stop working because it's putting Nana at risk. I need to be present for them and modeling what responsible adulthood looks like right now. And then when someone calls me and says like, I want you to give a speech to a sales team for the builder show, which is what I'm prepping for next week is, you know, finding that space to be like, okay, everyone, you know, was coming in my room yesterday and I was like, I'm writing, you have to go. This is what needs my attention right now. And I'll be with you in a minute when I can create the space for it. So I don't know, for me, balance is just being as present as you can with who needs you the most at the time. It's just amazing when I hear all the, the pieces that we learn through our process of building awareness, right? And growing ourselves that you, you just start throwing out these words and these things that you do that's just hitting all the points that's like, yeah, I read that in a book and I read that in a book and, and I'm practicing that now and I learned about that. And so you, all in one hour, in one conversation, you've just like kind of like ding, 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 like check off everything just naturally almost. But I know it was a lot of hard work to get there. Yeah, it's living with a level of intention to be that aware. So if you could leave, first I, I want you to, Tell us about your company, the mantra, because that's really important. And the fact that you have a mantra, right, is, is extremely important because that's what what your company, your employees see and know about your company and know about the heart of your company, right? And then after that, tell us something that you'll leave the audience with. Just if they could leave today listening to you, your story, what's the one thing that tomorrow they can implement or know? So the manifesto came, like all good things come from bad things, right? So we went through a season where we hired the regional president. When we hired her, in the first six months of her tenure running our company, she had 40% turnover. We're a tiny company. We're like 25 people. We build about 200 homes a year. It was a tremendously challenging time to realize that, that we had so much more work to do than we thought. You know, it was that, that we think we're in a flow state. We think the company's existing without us and, and only to realize like, oh, it's not the version we meant. It's not living up to what we originally intended. And so we have to, you just to start from scratch. You just tear down the walls and start rebuilding again. So we wrote the manifesto to hold ourselves accountable to what we were showing up for every day. And the manifesto says a lot of things that it starts with, you know, building a home is an honor and a privilege. It's our honor. It's our privilege. And so owning that, knowing that we aren't entitled to any of this, this is ours to be grateful for, to stay in a state of gratitude, to not make space for hate, to invite people to bring their whole selves to work and to defend that. 
and to, to honor people's stories and by offering them a great home building experience to give them the courage to live the life they've imagined. It takes a lot of courage to live with truth and authenticity. And so what I would leave people with is to get quiet, get still, and listen to that voice, honor that voice. And it, it might break your heart and that's okay because you can rebuild it. You have everything you need to rebuild it if it needs to be rebuilt. But that voice will tell you the truth. And the moment you start listening to the truth, I think is the moment you take your first step towards towards being great, if that's what you want to be. And where, where can our audience learn about you and, and they wanted to reach out to you or reach out to Garmin Homes? They can go to GarminHomes.com, obviously, on the, on the interwebs. Um, we're on Facebook. I am not personally on Facebook if I don't have to be. I love Instagram, though. You can find me at, at Elena Money Garmin. And I have an open account and I share lots of things about my life, professional and personal. And um, I'm on LinkedIn as well. So reach out to me there. I don't hire anyone for the business though. So if you're looking for a job or want to sell us something, then I can direct you to the right person. That's at GarminHunt.com. So <laughs> thank you so much, Alina. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to The Art of Becoming Wonder Women, the podcast. Thank you for being a part of our community. If you haven't yet, join our private Facebook page and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join us next week for another Wonder Women conversation. Our podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any question you may have regarding a medical condition. Thank you.